You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Forefront. I don't start this way often, but I'm going to start this way today. I want to start this way just by praying quickly. Will you pray with me? God, there are some of us right now who are scared, so we pray for your divine hope. God, there are some who are feeling anguish, anxiety. We pray that you would bring a sense of joy and a sense of peace. God, there are some of us who are feeling hopeless, and I I pray that you would give us um, a sense of perspective. God, there are some of us who are struggling to believe that you are good and that you are God and that you exist, and I pray that you would give us um, community, community that believes for us that serves for us, that allows us to see God in one another. And God, I just pray for our church that we would continue to be bastions of peace and hope and enactors and enablers of your good gospel. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. And we all say amen. So to that, let's get started. And the question I want to ask is a really upbeat question. Let's say you walk into a funeral home, and let's say you find out you are at your funeral. You find out you're at your funeral, and you also find out that there are three people who are going to speak at your funeral. It's going to be a co-worker, it's going to be an incredible friend, and it's going to be a family member or someone like a family member, you know, someone you consider family. Now, what are they going to say at your funeral. Let me ask it another way. What do you want them to say? What, what do you want them to say about a life well lived at your funeral? And I want you to take a couple seconds and I want you to think about that. Maybe you have pen and paper next to you. If so, write it down. Maybe you want to comment on it. But what do you want people to say about your life at your funeral, about a life well lived? Okay. Thinking about it. Good. Okay, now I want you to do this. Now I want you to think about the things you care about the most right now. What do you care about the most today? What, what, what gives you the most joy or what are you trying to accomplish or, or what's your definition of success right now in this moment, okay? What are the things you value right now in this moment? What are the things that are keeping you up at night right now in this moment? And yes, It's 2020, and there's a lot that's keeping us up at night and a lot that we have to think about differently, right? So what is it right now that you care so deeply about, that you value, that you are even stressed about or anxious about? What is it? If you want to write that down next to your other, um, go ahead and write that down. If you want to comment on it, feel free to comment on that. What is it you value now? Back in 1989, I was alive. Some of y'all weren't alive in 1989. I was 12, and I was pretty excited because uh, a bunch of great music came out. So I feel like 1989 is defined by music I loved. I was, I was listening to Big Daddy Kane. Great album in 89. Getting off the bus with my friend John Shanley and taking a really long walk back home and like singing Young MC's Bust a Move the entire way. Or what about the Immortal Vanilla Ice? 1989. 
But something else incredible happened in 1989. In fact, a book came out, and from this book, almost 30 million people read, came this statement from the book's author, and the book's author is named Stephen Covey, and the book is called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in it, he says this, if you carefully consider what you once said at your funeral by friends, family members, and co-workers, you will ultimately find your definition of success. Okay, that's quite a line. I don't know if I fully agree with it, but hmm, it's definitely an interesting thought and an interesting concept. Now, I want you to think about what I asked you, right? What do you want people to say about you at your funeral? And then I want you to take a look at what you care about now and what, what takes up your space now and what stresses you out now and your definition of success now. Let me ask this question. How many of the things that you care about right now and you are taking action on right now and are accomplishing right now are the same things you want your friends and your family members and your coworkers to talk about at your funeral. How many of you are doing that right now? Now, here's the thing. Right now, I, I have to think deeply about our country, right? I think we all do. And I think there's a little bit of uh, urgency, urgency around our country. And we want to see great policies put in place. We want to make sure that we enact what we believe will allow for all of us to find success in the coming years, right? I care deeply about it. But at my funeral, maybe I would want them to say something about, you know, caring deeply about policy and caring deeply about the good of our country. But do I really want them to go, yeah, and Jonathan, God bless him, was super stressed in 2020. You know, do I want them to say that? And, I, and right now, I, I care deeply about relationships. In fact, I care deeply about the lack of relationships. Okay, right now there's a real lack of intimacy. I'm missing it. I'm missing intimacy with friends and family and others, right? I, I want my kids to have that social intimacy. They don't have it right now. They're bored out of their minds. I care deeply about that. And, and maybe at my funeral I want somebody to say something about how I valued relationship. But do I really want them to say like, well, Jonathan, you know, was, was pretty upset about the, the, the scarcity of intimacy and relationships at one point. Like, no, maybe, maybe not. You know, there's so much that I care about, so much that's really um, very true in 2020, things that matter greatly in 2020. I do not want to discount these things at all in any stretch, but I have to ask, are the things that I'm so concerned about, that I care deeply about, that I'm taking action on now, the things I want somebody to talk about when they talk about my life well-lived, when they talk about my idea of success? In fact, what we want right now isn't always what we consider success. There is constant conflict between what we naturally want in a moment and what we ultimately want in a full life. And the list can go on and on. Jobs and money are incredibly important. I care deeply about jobs and money. I do, especially now, it's so hard and there are so many of us struggling, but is this the thing that makes a life well lived, right? How many of us are thinking about that full life and that definition of success and and when I sat down to think about it, because the truth is I wasn't thinking about it all that often. But when I sat down to think about it, I said, you know, what's interesting is that the things I want people to talk about at my funeral are not necessarily like a, a, a list of my accomplishments. So maybe some of them would be there. But I really, really want people to talk about the fact that I lived a full life because of the character behind my accomplishments and the character behind what I valued and the character behind 
what I cared deeply about. That is what I want people to talk about when I think about my life and when I think about what I want people to talk about. What about you? What do you care deeply about? And the thing that you care deeply about now, is it translated to living a full life? Is it translated to that idea of success that Stephen Covey talked about all the way in 1989? Now I'm asking this question because ultimately I'm asking something that, um, listen, it's sort of trite for those of us who grew up in the church. Um, For those of us who grew up in the church, I'm asking, are our lives bearing fruit? Oh, there it is. There it is, the fruits of the Spirit, which is what we are in right now. And so here we go with this Fruits of the Spirit series. And as you can see, I'm not dressed up as a fruit yet, but it might come. I don't know. But, but in this series, you know, why did we bring about this series? I, I told you about it last week. I said, you know, there are so many good things we do as a church. We're incredibly, um, uh, we're incredibly focused around seeking justice, around activism, around caring for lives of, of those who have been oppressed and hurt, and, and of around championing so many who've been excluded to make sure that they are included. We do so many of these good things. I'm so proud of our church. But the question I brought up last week is the same question I'm bringing up this week. Anybody can do that. Any organization can do that. What makes us a church? What makes the, the fact that we, that we uh, do justice and, and are activists and, and care about inclusion and all those things, what, what separates us from just any other org? And this is what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about the fruits of the Spirit. And so it's a really interesting way that the fruits of the Spirit comes about. In fact, Paul, who's the author of the book of Galatians, he's the one that writes them. And he's talking to the church at, at, you know, at Galatia. And what he's basically saying to this church is, is he's saying, hey, church, you're a bunch of idiots. Like, I kid you not, that's the Greek translation. It's like, you're a bunch of idiots. Now, why was this church a bunch of idiots? I'll tell you. They had a list. And it was a list of the things that made them really good Christ followers. That's what it was. It was a list of the things that made them better than others. And so they had, you know, a few things on this list. Many had to do with the law, which at the time was an incredibly important law, was an incredibly good law that governed people's lives, right? And so they had this list of do's and don'ts, and, and they said, this is what makes us really good Christ followers. And I think about us as an American church right now. You know, oftentimes we're what we call a progressive church, and oftentimes we easily see the other side and we look at the other side and we go, look at them. You know, they think Christianity is about being pro-birth. They think it's about excluding queer lives. They think it's about an all lives matter movement. They're Republican and, you know, add something else to the list. Uh, they believe in literal scripture, something like that, right? And those are the five things that define that conservative American church over there. We don't want to be anything like them at all. And yet, and yet if we're not careful... We could just become fundamentalists on the other side with our own list. Oh yeah? Well, we're a church that cares about inclusion and, and we care about activism and making sure that policies are met. And we are Democrats and we are what, you know, whatever the case may be, even though I say that we're always apolitical in terms of party, right? But, but we could easily create our same list of six or seven things that make us what we think incredible Christ follows. But, but what's behind that? And that's what Paul is getting at here when he's talking to the Galatians. And that's what I think Paul is getting at when he talks to us. He says, you know, who are you? Are you a list of things? How are you defined? And this is what Paul says, and it's so important, I want to read it. It comes from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says, against such things, there is no law. And so when I think back to what I define as success, yeah, maybe the way that we do champion others and maybe the way that we do rally around lives and inclusion, maybe all oh, that's great. And maybe they will talk about, that, talk about that at my funeral. But that's not gonna mean a whole lot if the character behind those actions aren't the fruits of the Spirit. If the character behind those actions don't matter, right? It's not gonna be talked about. And so why do the fruits of the Spirit matter? Why do they make a difference? Well, I mean, you know, against these things, there is no law. You could do whatever it is you want to do, and you could think that you're doing it correctly and doing it right and doing it for good reason. But if you're not doing it with that heart, if it's not bearing fruit, then ultimately, is it really truly bringing the kingdom of God? And to that part, I, I, I say, you know, as us, as a as Forefront Church, I'm so thankful for the fruits of the Spirit. I'm thankful for the fruits of the Spirit as we've journeyed out of a more traditional Christianity and into a, a kind of a progressive Christianity because we get questions all the time. Well, if you're a progressive church, then what do you think about sin? And I'm like, actually, it's incredibly simple, right? Maybe we don't have these big blanket sin issues, but are our actions bringing about the fruits of the Spirit? Do they bring about love, joy, patience, kindness, right? Are they bringing those things? And if our actions consistently are not bringing those things, well, maybe it's time to take a look at our own lives, right? See what's going on here so that we can start bringing the fruits of the Spirit. When our church decided to become queer affirming, people said, well, the Bible plainly says this, and it says that the Bible is against the LGBTQI community and against same-sex marriage. And I, I would always say, we would always say, you know, when someone comes out, do they simply just, at that point that they come out, just stop being kind, patient, loving, gentle? You know, do they stop being those things? Or do they keep being those things? And people are like, well, obviously they keep being those. Exactly. If that's the case, why would we want to exclude someone who has the fruits of the Spirit is working towards bringing God's kingdom, right? I, I, you know, I don't know if this is a thing. I feel like it's a thing in other places, but the same goes with women, people who are women not having full inclusionary rights in the church. And it's like when someone decides that they are a woman or, or when someone announces they're a woman or when someone's born uh, w with the genitals that we call women, does, do they lose fruits of the spirit at that point? Is that something that happens? Or do we still exhibit you know, faithfulness and gentleness, self-control and all the above? And the answer is yes, we do. So why would we wanna limit our sisters in Christ? Why would we wanna limit them? You see, the fruits of the Spirit, you know, we can have all these actions. What's behind the actions? Because while these actions could be the definition of success, it's the fact that our church has brought fruits of the Spirit that bring about real success. Now on the flip side, People have said to us often as a church, you know, why wouldn't you just be quiet? Why wouldn't you not ruffle any feathers? Why wouldn't you just talk about personal relationship with Jesus? Why would you, you know, why do you have to be more communal and justice focused? Why do you do those things? And what we say is, well, we recognize that if we were to exclude and not talk about the communal, the justice, the activism, if we were to not do those things, we wouldn't be bringing the fruits of the spirit that God calls us to bring for others. We wouldn't be doing that for others, right? This is why we do what we do. We don't do it because, oh, it's a good action to take. 
We do it because ultimately, Paul says, if you really want to live a Christ-like life, this is the way to do it. There are telltale signs that you are bringing the kingdom of God to this place. And last week, I talked all the time about restoration. I said, hey, we're being restored, we're being renewed, and we're telling a new story, right? Well, how do we know that we're telling a new story? How do we know God is at work in our story? Because we'll see the fruits of the Spirit in that story, Even that dumb story I told last week about my wife and I and about snowboarding, like when we retell that, there's fruit that comes from that. There's a sense of joy that comes from it. There's a sense of love that comes from it, right? That's how we know stories are being retold. And you know what the biggest issue with conservative Christianity and on the flip side, on the fundamentalist left side of Christianity, is that we've forgotten that a Christ-like living, the gospel-centered living, isn't about actions. It isn't about our lists. It's about exhibiting fruits of the Spirit that usher in the kingdom of heaven. That's absolutely what it is about. This is great news, right? And these are the types of success stories that we want to tell. It's like the story behind the story. Yes, we did this really incredible thing. And the reason we did it is because we exhibited that fruit. That's the story that I want told when my life is over. That's what living life fully looks like. That's what success looks like. So why, oh why, does it feel difficult? Why does it feel difficult? I'm going to tell you why I think it feels difficult for me to exhibit fruits of the Spirit. It feels difficult because I sometimes believe that the fruits of the Spirit impede progress. I feel like the fruits of the Spirit impede progress. And we absolutely need to make progress. I mean, especially if you live in New York City. Those of us who live in New York City, y'all, give yourselves a little hug or something. It is hard. And the truth of the matter is, our, our, you know, if we're not making progress, our livelihood is at stake. Right? Bottom line, if we're not getting the job we need, if we're not making the money we need to make, if we're not moving forward, you know, this city will, you know, it'll chew us up and spit us out. Bottom line, progress is a, a huge priority here. And then there are other ways that I absolutely want to make progress because we see our siblings whose lives are at stake, right? We care deeply about Black Lives Matter. We want to see progress made there because lives are at stake. Same with, same with LGBTQIA lives. Same with lives of anyone else who's experiencing oppression, right? There's, we need to make progress. People's, people's lives matter. We got to get moving, right? There's that sense. Right? There's that sense in which we, we got to push. We got to push. And so someone might get in our way or something might get in our way. And in the, for the sake of progress, what I say is I say, push that person aside, push that thing aside, cut them out of my life completely because I, I have got this thing going on and I need to make sure we accomplish it. And everybody else is, is just, you know, get, get out of my way if you fundamentally disagree with me. Right? That's, that's what we do. That's what we do in the name of progress. And here's the thing, and just a quick aside, I'm not saying that sometimes we do need to cut people out of our lives. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we need to to make really, really um, tight boundaries. Sometimes we do need to tell toxic people to go away. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The reason that we need to tell them to go away is because they're no longer working in our lives in a way that bears fruit in our lives. And, and being with them is something that doesn't bring about good fruit in our lives. When we're around them and we're with them, all of a sudden we're not gentle, joyful, loving, and all the rest, right? All of a sudden we become these terrible people. So yeah, sometimes that's a good thing. But are we cutting people out of our lives for the sake of progress? You don't agree with me, so I'm going to cancel you. You've done this thing. You can't be redeemed. You're finished, right? 
Why are we doing it? Are we doing it because they're no longer bearing fruit and bringing fruit? Or are we doing it because we need to move forward and we need to move forward quickly? I love the fact that our church love and I'm so proud of our church for the incredible work that we are doing. Right, I think we're doing. In fact, uh, yesterday a couple people went out and, and and protested the abolish ICE movement. They put themselves in harm's way. They were arrested, and you know what? I think that is bringing the kingdom of heaven. I'm thankful for that group, and I'm thankful for all of us who do that really good and really hard work. But if we're doing it in the name of progress, and not in the name of bringing fruit and flourishing to other people, then we might want to check ourselves and what we think success actually looks like. Yesterday, we were, two days ago, was a tough day. RGB passed away. And, uh, I, you know, I'm sitting in sadness. And then I'm on Twitter, of course, because, yeah, why not? And I go to Twitter and I get on Twitter and um, I hear this story. And it's a story from Justice Scalia's son. And so Justice Scalia, for those who don't know, it was a you know, very conservative judge on the Supreme Court who passed away a couple of years back. And so uh, Justice Scalia's son tells a story about uh, this lawyer who walks into his office. And he sees in Scalia's office, he sees 24 red roses. So this lawyer says to Scalia, well, who are the roses for? And he goes, oh, these are for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And he goes, really? Like, you are polar opposites. Like, why would you give her flowers? At what point, at what point has any 5-4 decision ever gone in your favor because you've given Ruth Bader Ginsburg flowers? And Scalia looked at this lawyer and he said, there's a lot in life, way more important than votes. And that speaks to the fruits of the Spirit. That speaks to the fact that we are able to do the important work. We are able to do the good work. We're able to do the flourishing work. We're able to do what I believe is bringing and ushering in a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, and a new kind of Christianity for 500 years. But the second that we forget about others, eschew others for the sake of progress, is the second that we've lost our way. The good gospel message is a message that says your actions are incredible. What is behind your actions? Because that's where true success lies. That's what we want people to talk about at our funeral. And, and the true success, it comes in these fruits. And, and of that, there is no law. Of that, there is no law. Whew. All right, church. Can we do this? Can we, can we practice can we practice bringing about love and joy and kindness and gentleness and patience? Can we practice those things? Can we practice self-control where self-control is needed? Can we practice the things that bring about a flourishing in God's kingdom? And I feel like, yeah, I feel like let's do it. And then there's this other part of me that goes, but it's so hard. It's so hard because there's so much at stake. And for a privileged person like me, I need to stop for a second and acknowledge that it's way easier for me to say, hey, Let's all slow down and practice the fruits of the Spirit when the truth is my life isn't put in danger nearly as much as the lives of others. So I want to acknowledge that. But how do we practice it knowing that there's progress that we need to make and knowing that there's a sense of urgency in our country and knowing that our church, no pun intended, needs to be on the forefront of that change and that urgency and all that's coming right now, right? How? how? I go back to the Lord's Prayer. Now at the Lord's Prayer, the disciples say, Jesus, how do you pray? And Jesus says, you start by saying, our Father. Now this was a giant deal. 
And I just want to take a quick second to say, you know, 2,000 years ago, social constructs made it so you wouldn't say our mother or you wouldn't say, you know, our God, and that's too bad. Um, but what Jesus was getting at is intimacy. He, when he said, you start off by saying our father or, you know, our mother or whatever we want it to be, he was saying, start off by recognizing that God knows you intimately. Now, this was a huge thing, a giant difference for the disciples who most of them couldn't even get into the inner parts of the temple, right? That's where you're supposed to commune with God. Most weren't even allowed there. So they're going, oh man, there's this intimacy? What if there's this intimacy where God is sitting there going, I know you so well. I know the work you're doing. I know where your heart is. I, I know it. I know it. And, and I want you to trust that I'm doing this work with you. I want to trust that I want to see flourishing too. And I want to trust that I would trust that I want to see change too. But I want you, I want you to relish the gifts I've given you, those fruits of the Spirit. Can we trust that God is doing that in our lives? Can we trust that? It's hard. It's a hard thing to trust. When you think about new relationships, I think about this law of limerence. The law of limerence is this really incredible thing. I talk about it all the time because I think it's so incredible. Basically, the first 12 to 18 months we know somebody, a new love interest, a new friend, someone who we really connect with, that first 12 to 18 months, we see none of their faults. In fact, our brain chemistry is working so that we see none of their faults. It's called the law of limerence. And so in my own relationship with my wife, Juby, when we were dating, someone asked her, hey, tell me some things about Jonathan that really annoy you. And she was like, I don't think Jonathan has any faults. And she was right. But anyway, what we need to um, take comfort in, we need to take comfort in the fact that this law of limerence is always happening with God. That God is always right there with us, always excited to be a part of what we're up to, always, always relishing the chance to, to be at work in our lives, always seeing us with those rose-colored glasses. And, and while it might fade for us, it never fades for God. So God is at work caring about the things that we care about. And God says, I'm taking care of that. Do you trust that I'm taking care of it? If you can trust that I'm taking care of that and the progress that you want to make, then maybe you could trust me enough to start exhibiting patience in it and start exhibiting gentleness. Start showing love where love feels foreign. Start showing self-control in places that you haven't, maybe bringing about some maturity in your life. Ooh, what about kindness? Can you be kind to others, right? Like God is saying, I'm with you. That sense of urgency, I get it, but can you slow down and trust that I'm in control? And if that's the case, that is success because that is the fullness of the kingdom of God. So I wanna ask again, what do we care about right now, at this moment? What do we value? What's freaking us out? What's stressing us out? What accomplishments are we moving towards? What's the thing that we care about more than anything else right now? And is that what you want people to talk about at your funeral? Do you want them to talk about that right now? Or is what's happening right now simply temporary? There's something bigger, something going on behind the thing, right? And maybe the thing is like, yeah, I was an incredible activist, and, and that's fine. You could say that at your funeral, but I was an incredible activist because I care and love deeply for others, right? That's a whole different thing. That's a whole new kind of fullness. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like. 
Why are we a church and not some other organization? We are a church and not some organization because when we embody the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who comes to show us what love looks like, what life looks like, what flourishing looks like, what equity looks like, who dies at the hands of the state because they don't want to see those things happen and then is resurrected and, and, and comes again and shows us that this is what victory looks like. He says, this is victory. Victory is not just progress or it's both. We can do this and we can exhibit the fruits of the Spirit because we're embodying and enacting the life, the death, and the wonderful resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Can you believe that? And if you can believe that, give me an amen in the comments somewhere else because this is what I believe. I believe our church will be remembered for doing great things. And I believe our church will be remembered for all this important work that we're doing right now here in 2020. But the thing that I'm most excited about is people say, yeah, look at Forefront and look at the incredible work they did. And they did it in such a way where they brought flourishing to the kingdom of God. And we, are, we, we see all of those fruits of the Spirit. We see all of them. And our success isn't just about action, but it's about character as well. And it's the ultimate success for our church in this crazy, controversial, beautiful, beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can't wait to see all that we do next and all the fruit that we bear next. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, you are good, and I thank you for the calling you've given us as a church. God, I pray that we will always choose character over progress every single time. Fruits of the Spirit over progress every single time. I pray that our, 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 our worship towards you is never just a set of directives or a concept, but I pray that our worship towards you is something more beautiful, more meaningful that bears and brings fruit. And so give us the courage. Give us the language to speak. Give us, give us the actions. Give us, give us the grace. Give us whatever it is that we need, the Spirit upon us that allows us to produce these fruits for others. And God, thank you that against that, there is no law. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.